0: Our text this morning is the 14th verse of John chapter 1. A wonderful verse, well-known verse. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We have seen His glory. Uh, We're thinking in the... Sunday surrounding Christmas of the appearing of God. What was revealed in the incarnation. Last Sunday we looked at the appearing or the revealing of the mystery. The mystery of Godness. Great is the mystery of Godliness. He was made manifest in the flesh. And this morning we are looking at the appearance of the glory of God with the coming of Jesus Christ. Christ, the word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory. When Jesus came to earth, something of heaven came down amongst us. The glory of heaven dwelt amongst us. That glory which Jesus enjoyed with the Father and Holy Spirit before the world was made, appeared, his glory appeared. So that John and the disciples could say, we have seen his glory. Glory is a wonderful word, it's a Bible word, it's so uh, full of of significance, so full of meaning. uh, As a a word that we would use, it it means uh, magnificence, splendor, beauty, brilliance, uh, glory is often used of a monarch. You know, we speak of a glorious reign, or we speak of a victory, a military victory, is a glorious victory, a splendid victory. And God's perfections are represented as His glory, and glory is often thought of as light. God is so wonderfully wonderful in His perfections that they, as it were, emanate from Him. In Wonderful light. And so you've got examples such as the Shekinah glory uh, when light, uh, light, uh, cloud transfused with light, a cloud as though it was on fire, filled the tabernacle. You have the appearance of God on Mount Sinai uh, when uh, lightnings uh, surround the mount. God's presence signified uh, by the outgoing of his magnificence in great shining light, the glory of God appearing. Now, by contrast, by contrast, you may think this morning that your life is far from glorious, magnificent, splendid, that in fact uh, it's rather humdrum, that it's uh, taken up with getting by, uh, we, we come into church very often and we have real struggles in our lives, just getting through life. Uh, we're constantly tired, perhaps, because we have young children to look after or long hours to put in at work and often feel that we're not appreciated in the work that we do we're simply overwhelmed at times with the demands of life. No great highs, no great triumphs that we would describe as glorious in our day-to-day living. That's the reality for many people. And because that is, by and large, the reality for most of us, the message of Christmas, the message of the Incarnation, has a, a wonderful appeal Because it puts us in touch with a glory that has come into our world from the outside. And the Christmas story is full of glory. The glory of God come down. There is brilliance, beauty, splendor, song. As heaven comes to earth and glory is made known. A bunch of Blue-collar farm workers are out on the night shift. Tending their sheep. And we're told that an angel appeared. And the glory of the Lord shone all around. Suddenly the, the mundaneness of their lives is interrupted by the glory of God. And the angel choir comes out and it proclaims glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. There is a new star set in the sky. It's a glorious sight. It's brighter than any other star. And it draws a bunch of astrologers from the east to come and to worship at the glory of God come down. And Simeon, old Simeon, getting frailer and frailer. And as he advances in years... The people that he grew up with and went to school with, they've all passed on by and large. And he reckons that his days on earth are few. And one day he meets with glory. In the temple, he comes upon uh, the earthly parents of Jesus and he cradles the glory of God in his hands. And bursts out in praise. My eyes have seen your salvation. Which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation. To the Gentiles. And for glory. To your people Israel. The appearing of God then. Is the appearing of glory. Now. Whether or not Jesus was born on the 25th of December, and it's highly likely that he wasn't, makes no difference. But there is a certain a certain wonderful symbolism to the fact that at the darkest time of the year we celebrate his incarnation with beautiful lights which light up the darkest parts of the country. Because it's coming was spoken of in the Old Testament as the coming of glorious light to lighten up the darkness of sin-benighted people. Arise, Isaiah says. Shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rests upon you. Now, John says we have seen his glory. And John's not saying when he says that, he's not saying that Jesus... Went around with a kind of phosphorescence round his head. Wasn't like that at all. Uh, to have met the, earth, the uh, to to have met the Son of God when he walked this earth, was not to meet the man who was, uh, who stood out from the rest because he had a bright halo of, of glory. The glory of God was revealed through Jesus in a very different way and John tells us how it was that the glory was revealed. It was revealed he says chiefly in the signs that Jesus performed and signs are a very important part of John's gospel. In John chapter 2 after Jesus has performed his first miracle John comments this The first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their trust in him. Jesus revealed his glory through his signs. Through his miraculous signs. And that's why we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to consider together the seven signs that we have in the first part of John's gospel. Uh, Many of the scholars call John 1-12 the book of signs because there are uh, miracles which are identified each time as a sign which Jesus performed and point towards uh, a deeper reality They're flooded with significance the word was made flesh and made his dwelling amongst us we have seen his glory He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And he showed his glory in his mighty signs. The first sign, and we are specifically told it was the first sign that Jesus performed, was the turning of water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And in this sign, Jesus reveals his glory as the creator Mary and Jesus and the disciples had been invited to a wedding at Cana a country town in Galilee and in the midst of the celebration there is a social catastrophe about to happen because word comes to Mary the wine has run out they have no wine Mary tells Jesus there are a number of stone jars containing, if they were filled, about 20 gallons of water. And they're there for ceremonial washing. Uh, We saw a couple of weeks ago that this was a regulation that the Pharisees had introduced. It wasn't in the Old Testament and Jesus didn't observe it because he identified it as having the spirit of legalism about it. It was a burdensome rule. Uh, But they had obviously purified themselves through ceremonial washing before this meal because these jars are empty. Jesus commands the servant to fill them now with water and then to get the head waiter to draw from them after they've been filled. And they draw wine. The water is turned to wine. And not just ordinary plonk, Vintage wine, the best wine, so that it's commented upon. And Jesus shows his glory in this sign as the creator, the creator over uh, the world that he has made and over the natural laws that operate in the world that he has made. Uh, He is revealed also as the real joy giver, he doesn't come to improve on the rules and regulations of legalism pictured by these stone jars for the ceremonial water. He comes to replace the burden of legalism with the joy of free grace. He comes to point to a new world, a new creation, which is pictured in the Old Testament as a banquet, a banquet where there is joy and where wine flows, wine Of the best variety. He's come into the world. Not to make you better at keeping your rules. He's come into the world. To bring you new life. Despite all of the ringing of tills. At this time of year. Despite the. The rapid. The the busy sales And. Hubs and off licenses. The verdict of heaven on the majority of people in Scotland today is they have no wine. They have no wine. And Jesus comes to bring true joy into lives. The one who was born in Bethlehem comes to break the cycle of despair and bring the joy of heaven. If anyone is in Christ He is a new creation. Jesus showed his glory as the Creator, turning the water into wine. Second sign, we're specifically told again it was the second sign that Jesus performed, is the healing of the royal official son. It's in chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. It is a sign that reveals Jesus' authority over sickness. Jesus is back in Cana in Galilee. Uh, There's an official, uh, and his son is seriously ill. He lives in Capernaum. It's about 25 miles away. It's a day's journey. He's heard that Jesus is, is in Cana. He's come to Cana to beg Jesus to come with him and heal his son. He's distraught, and to our surprise, Jesus, first of all, delivers a rebuke. Unless you people see miraculous signs, you will not believe. And it seems hard. And sometimes what Jesus does does seem hard. But Jesus is warning us against looking for the, the spectacular, looking for the answer to what we want, rather than seeing beyond the miracles to the, the spiritual truth that they signify. There's all kinds of groups that are very good at, uh, at laying on spiritual fireworks these days, and they can attract a crowd, and that is as far as it gets. And even a faithful church uh, can demonstrate warmth and friendship which draw people. But unless people who are drawn go beyond that to place their faith in Christ, then it has not availed them much. It's only Jesus who saves. And so there's a pastoral purpose in the the Saviour's rebuke. Jesus is also testing the man to see if he's uh, willing to go beyond that initial rebuff and continue to plead with Jesus. And he does. He continues to beg that Jesus will go with him and heal his son. And Jesus tells him, your son will live. Your son will live. And at this point, the man faces a decision. He can either believe that his son will live And simply go home on his own. Or he can doubt Jesus' word. And he can continue to beg that Jesus will accompany him. And take him to Capernaum where his son lay sick. But the man believes in in Jesus' word. And goes back home. Checks out the fact that his son is alive and well now. And it was the time when Jesus said the word. That the man's son was healed. He and his household have saving faith in Jesus. They saw the sign. They believed in the Saviour who did the sign, Jesus, who has authority over sickness. Jesus' second sign. Jesus' third sign shows that he is the sovereign God who is free to save whom he will. And the third sign is shown at the pool of Bethesda when Jesus heals a paralysed man. Now, the context here is that at this pool, there were a whole bunch of disabled people who had gathered around, waiting to to go into the water when the waters were disturbed. When the waters moved, they believed that there was healing power released. But there was a man here who had been paralysed for 38 years. Imagine him, 38 years, unable to walk. And because he had no one, he was helpless. There was no one to take him to the, the, the waters when they were troubled. He's lain there all this time. Now Jesus goes into the pool of Bethsaida and Bethesda and there are all these people there. And out of all the people who are there, he goes to this one man and he asks him again a strange question, do you want to be well? He wants to make sure that this man has a desire for wholeness. You see, we can be unwell, we can be spiritually unwhole and really be quite content with where we're at. We can be completely uh, uninterested in moving on. And Jesus asks the man if he has a desire to be made well. And Jesus heals him. He heals him. He also says something interesting later on, which suggests that the man's illness may have a connection with sin in his life because he tells him, go and don't go on sinning, or something worse may happen to you. But the the people who should have welcomed this man being restored to society uh, are the Pharisees. And instead, typically, as legalists, they have a complete lack of perspective. And they focus in on the fact that he's carrying uh, his mat on the Sabbath day. And Jesus has healed this this man on the Sabbath day. And so they begin to persecute Jesus. And Jesus' defense is a remarkable one. He points to the fact that many of the Jews believe that God himself worked on the Sabbath day because God was upholding his universe. God's providential care was work on the Sabbath day. And because Jesus is God, he is at work also. My father is always at work, and so must I work. Stunning claim. To being the son of God. They recognize it as such. And they hate him for it. Jesus in his third sign. Shows that he is the sovereign God. We don't deserve his mercy. But if you're not saved. You can call on his name. And in his mercy. He is free to save you. Jesus is free to save. He is under no compulsion. But he is a God of mercy. And we may call out on his name and he may free us from our sin. He is sovereign God. The fourth sign reveals the glory of God as the bread of life. I am the bread of life. The context, of course, is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is followed out into a desert place by 5,000 plus people, 5,000 men plus women and children. Gets late. Disciples recognize that they have a responsibility to these people who've been missing their meals. They're getting hungry. How are they going to feed them? Eventually, uh, they bring a little boy uh, to Jesus who has uh, a lunch of five loaves, five little barley loaves, and two fish. And Jesus gets the people to sit down groups of 50, and they're fed. They're fed miraculously by the five loaves and two fish with 12 baskets of fragments remaining over. And the people are amazed. And the people in their minds make a connection. Who else was a leader through whom God provided bread in a desert? Moses. Jesus is the prophet Moses spoke of? The prophet has come into the world. But then they go on and they make the wrong, wrong application. This prophet is going to be the king, and they want to make him a king by force, and Jesus hides from them. And later on, when Jesus is explaining the sign, he tells the, 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 those who are listening, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Think of the incredible weight of expectation that the Christmas season is expected to bear. People have enormous expectations on what this is going to deliver. Uh, Tradesmen know the the pressure on them uh, to have everything ready by Christmas. Oh, we want it ready by Christmas. Everything has to be perfect by Christmas. And children have got enormous expectations that they will have the the best, better than last year, as good as their friends are going to get. Families will go into debt in order to meet uh, their every whim. People come out of supermarkets, they're staggering under the weight of crates of drink. Uh, The lead up to Christmas takes longer each year. Shops are putting out the Christmas Adverts earlier and earlier. And because expectations are so high, the disappointment bites deeper. Because the things that we have anticipated for so long and with such hunger, they fail to deliver. They simply can't deliver. They're bread that does not satisfy. And the bread that does satisfy is the one lying in the manger that the world is ignoring, although they say they're celebrating his birth. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will never hunger. Jesus never disappoints, never lets down, always deeply satisfies. If we're hungry for reality, Jesus' glory is to be the bread of life. The fifth sign that Jesus shows reveals his glory as a God of compassion. It's when Jesus comes walking on the water to his disciples. Jesus has told his disciples after the feeding of the 5,000 to, to cross the lake of Galilee in a boat. And they obey him. And they go into a storm and they're terrified. Application. Some Christians think that if you follow Jesus, everything is going to go well for you. Reality. You obey Jesus, very often the wheels start to fall off. Things go wrong. Why? Jesus never promised that following him would mean that our life would be without problems, that we would be happy, happy all the day. It doesn't work like that. Jesus has something far better for us, more blessed than sorting out all the detailed problems of our lives. He wants to prepare us for heaven. He wants to make us holy. And sometimes the storms of our lives are part of that process. But into the storm that these disciples were engulfed in comes the Lord Jesus himself walking on the water To Jesus, the Lord over his creation. And the disciples at first are terrified, and Jesus says to them, Don't be afraid. It is me. And the Lord comes into the boat. And John tells us straight away the boat arrived at its destination. Wonderful. The God of glory who has come down is a God of compassion who promises to be with you in the boat. And to take you to your destination. Jesus' sign is the sign of his compassion. The sixth sign is to be the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in darkness. And the context is the healing of a man who was blind. A man who was blind, it wasn't any sin on his part this time. It was for the glory of God. And Jesus Uh, makes a spittle with some clay and applies it to the man's eyes and then tells him to go and to bathe in the pool of Siloam. And the man goes and he has his eyesight. He's overjoyed. His neighbours are amazed and true to form, the Pharisees are underwhelmed. And they again point to the fact that Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath day and they want the man to... Admit that Jesus must be a sinner. And the man won't do that. He says, I don't know this man. I don't know if he's a sinner. But what I do know is, once I was blind, but now I see. And because he won't fall into line with them, they persecute this man. They drive him out of the synagogue. And Jesus, the Savior, in his compassion, comes and meets the man and reveals to the man who he is. Do you believe in the Son of God? man says, who is he that I might believe in him? The one who's speaking to you is he. Lord, I believe. And he worships Jesus. The point of the story is that the Pharisees, with all their legalism, their lack of perspective, are as blind as moles. And the man who is blind is the one who sees. He sees that Jesus is the Son of God and he worships. And you and I know that that is true to life, that there there are people, and they're very bright sparks, and yet spiritually they are just as blind as these fallacies. They don't see it, they don't understand. They are obtuse spiritually. It's true of you and me before we come to Christ, we stumble, we fall in our ignorance. But if you come to Christ, He will make you to see, because He's the light of the world. The light, John says in the beginning of his gospel, that gives light to every man was coming into the world, came down at Bethlehem. He'll give light to you to see if you trust him. And then the seventh sign is the, the finale of these seventh, seven signs, the, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and shows Jesus' glory as the resurrection and the life. And it's the, the, the finale of the seven because it is foreshadowing Jesus' own resurrection from the grave. Lazarus has been dead four days. He's stone cold in the grave. The process of decomposition has started. And Jesus goes to the gravesite and addresses the dead man. And says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead here And out comes Lazarus looking for all the world like an Egyptian mummy with the grave cloth still wrapped around him. And before Jesus had performed the miracle, Jesus promises Martha, did I not say to you that if you believe, you would see what? The glory of God. The glory of God revealed in the raising of one from the dead. Jesus has power over death and he will conclusively defeat death by his cross and by his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the place of triumph at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the Lord of life. These are the signs. These are how Jesus revealed his glory. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the one and only it comes from God, full of grace and truth. But there's a response that's required from the signs. And John tells us the purpose of the signs in a key verse in chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's the response the signs require. So, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? You do? Trust in him. Place the full weight of your confidence in Christ for forgiveness of sins and new life and hope over the grave. And you will have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for sending your son Jesus into this world. We thank you that he has revealed your glory we thank you for his mighty signs which have done that. Lord, we worship and adore. Lord, we, we believe in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to follow him, to trust him, and to proclaim him as the Lord of glory. We ask this in his name.